And welcome to Out With Jimmy, the podcast where members of the LGBTQ plus community share their coming out stories with you. I thank you for joining us today. Remember, if you haven't uh, hit subscribe on Apple Podcast, I don't know what the hell's wrong with you. I'll come to your house and do it for you if you'd like. And if you do that, do us a favor and write a nice review and give us as many stars as you possibly can. We have a special guest all the way from Los Angeles today. It's BP Major. I'm a BP Major. I'm originally from Australia. I'm an award-winning recording artist, and I'm also proudly, openly gay and have been uh, throughout the duration of my, or yeah, the duration of my career. Uh, and now I am the creator and the host of my new YouTube series called Major Minors. BP, who was the first person you looked at and admitted to that you were gay? Well, I, I, I had to think long and hard about that because uh, I had to go back quite a few decades. <laughs> so, <laughs> Good for you. Um, actually, um, I, I think it would have been one of my best girlfriends in high school. And I, I, I reckon I was around 16 or 17 when and, we had that conversation. And was it hard for you to tell her? At the time, um, I was infatuated with somebody, so it was more exciting than hard. And also, I was, I was pretty sassy back then, so I sort of, <laughs> I didn't care what anybody thought. So um, I was more, more but yeah, there, there was a little angst and um, nerves, of course. But, um, but yeah, no, she was, she was pretty cool, and I knew she'd be pretty cool. Please forgive me, BP, but my perception of Australian men, whether they're straight, gay, bi, trans, whatever, is that you're all wearing Speedos. So I would imagine that it would be much easier to be gay because you're all beautiful. That's another perception. You're all well, wearing Speedos. You're all beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, acknowledging that. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's fine. And I, I will say that um, growing up gay in Australia, uh, you're right. Like we are, um, we're outside a lot and we do a lot of sports. So we're always at the beach. Uh, we're always playing football, and it, it's true. Like a lot of the guys were really hot and um, really fun. So I'm sort of glad that I grew up, even though it was tough out in the suburbs. But the guys were hot, so that made it easier. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when's the first time you told a guy that you were gay? Oh, uh, I would say um, like 16, 17. Yeah. Well, actually, you know what? I think it was more about the infatuation before really even, you know, um, acknowledging to yourself that you, you are gay. And I, I think in the beginning for me, it was like, well, it's more about, you know, I really, I really like him because of his energy. And I'm like, <laughs> then later on you realize you're like, no, bitch, you like him because you're gay. <laughs> and that's okay. That is okay. Uh, <laughs> how long did it take you to feel okay being gay? Um, well, I started working in entertainment when I was really young, like nine years old. And so I was around adults a lot and I was on TV a lot. So I became quite comfortable and confident within myself um, quite young. So I sort of, I think it took a little bit of time. I think um, the idea of telling my mother was very difficult, not because I was uh, uncomfortable within myself. Um, but I just thought that I was going to disappoint her. And I, I, I didn't anticipate that she was going to feel anything homophobic, but more disappointed that she wasn't going to have grandkids. Um, so I knew that sort of conversation was coming. That was difficult. But I think I was very comfortable. I would say 17, 18 years old, 
And I was working a lot. So I was always in um, dressing rooms, dancing, singing um, with a lot of other entertainers having really openly gay conversations because most of my peers were a lot older and, and gay. So Oh, you um, must have been the bell at the ball there, my friend. I bet you were, I bet you were very popular. Well, you know, I have looked at some old photos and I was cute back then. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what's happened to me in my 40s. I'm still oh. trying to hang in there, though. Oh, give me a break. Yeah. Yes, you're trying. It looks very hard, my friend. Um, <laughs> I did my I, hair. I didn't do this for you. I want you to appreciate that. I was walking around in a baseball cap before. Oh, God. I hope my husband <laughs> doesn't see this. Uh, he, he would know. He would think, oh, great. Yeah, surprising. Jimmy's uh, flirting with a hot blonde twink from Australia. Mm, <laughs> Now, as a performer, I looked at your credentials. You performed with J-Lo, Hugh Jackman, Britney, Lady Gaga. I mean, you've had an impressive career. As you just mentioned, you're an award-winning performer. Um, why do you think performers, um, so many members of the LGBTQ plus community are drawn to performing? You know, I, I thought about that a lot, and um, I wonder if, I, I, I don't know, I, because I, I believe that being um, gay is genetic. So maybe um, being a fabulous entertainer is also genetic. I don't know. Maybe they're the two genes that you get if you're gay. <laughs> um, but so the, the thing in our industry is that there are so many um, LGBTQ people involved. And um, I don't know whether we want to make things good, better, pretty. I find it fascinating because when I was younger, I was told that I, I couldn't be gay in order to book more TV work, especially, you know, getting older. And that really didn't sit well with me. And the thing that made me even more mad was that I knew that these big executives of the TV studios were also gay. And I was just like, how can you be gay and in this industry and telling me that I can't be gay in order to be in your industry? I always felt like it's their responsibility and it's now it's my responsibility to take the initiative to stand up and be like, hey, this is the way it is. This is cool. And, you know, we're going to accept that. Um, so I feel like if you are gay and you are in this industry, then you have a responsibility to, to stand up and speak out. And I did that at around 21 years old with that manager. She said to me, they were submitting me for a TV show, a popular soap in Australia. And she was like, you know, you, you, you can't be gay. Now, she didn't have a problem with me being gay in my personal life, but she had a problem with me being gay. Uh, publicly in order to book the work. And I was just like, you know what? No, I'm not agreeing to that. You take me as I am. And from that minute on, and I actually fired her. Um, and from that minute on, I know I lost jobs, but I was like, you know what? I don't care. One day, one kid from somewhere in the world is going to say, thank you so much for standing up because uh, now I can do what you wanted to do <laughs> because of something that you did. BP, I could not agree with you more and you know hearing that story about uh as you know studio heads he's saying you know what's up with all the gay people even though he or she might be gay it just shows the self-loathing that happens with a lot of members of our community about what they perceive the openness the openness of others who aren't in under our umbrella may be yeah, I find that I just used to find that so um, disappointing. Um, and even till today, you know, I, I, I'm always at events. I'm always around a, a lot of famous people, a lot of management. Um, 
And it still sort of surprises me. And things are so much better now, but it still surprises me with people's behavior about, you know, being gay or other people knowing that they're gay. And I don't know, I, I still feel like we're doing great, but we have a long way to go. And um, people in power need to use their, their power in, in the best possible way. And uh, we need to stand up for each other. Agreed. You know, um, I, I've spoken to so many people and you think about now I'm in my 40s also. And obviously I'm not holding on as 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 <clears throat> well as others are on uh, in this episode. But you're, uh, you're looking you're looking like a million bucks. Well, the economy ain't great anymore. I don't know if that's even a lot of money. Um, but you think about when you were younger, and I think about when I was younger, the, you know, and I've mentioned this before in the podcast, the only gay people that we knew absolutely sure were gay was Paul Lynn and Charles Nelson Riley and maybe, you know, Liberace and uh, somebody who we, I think most people kind of thought something was up with was one of your natives uh, from Australia was uh, Peter Allen. Was he an influence at all to you growing up? Yeah, it's funny that you should mention Peter Allen because as an Australian, we grow up with his music. You know, there's commercials made with his music. And um, I don't really remember him as a person, but I remember always his music. And uh, musically, he is an incredible influence of mine. And um, I was really pissed off that Hugh Jackman played him on Broadway because that's something that I always wanted to do. but I also find it quite fascinating that even back then, we all know that they're gay. But we, people go, oh, but are they really? Yeah. Like, you know, when Boy George came out in the 80s, you know, remember he had his, his long hair and his hat and, and everyone was like, no, 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 it's just, it's just attention. He just, you know, it's just a gimmick. So I think in the 80s or even be earlier than that, we would be like, are they really gay? Or, you know, they're definitely gay, but... Even if they were, they, they didn't really talk about it. And for example, I heard an interview with George Michael where he was saying that in the 80s and 90s, everybody, like all the press knew he was gay, but no one was really talking about it. And when he did like really officially come out, it was like, oh my God, you, you know, you're gay. And he's like, I've always been gay. I, I, I don't get it. So How is this I, I find that sort of fascinating. Well, yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> Elton John married a woman for Pete's sakes. You know, and yep. it's like how you go back and you look at Elton now and God bless, you know, and I fail to mention Elton and Boy George because I'm normally talking about where middle America would see uh, the uh, Paul Lynn. And, and I don't know, growing up in um, Australia, if you know who Paul Lynn and Charles. No, Nelson, I don't know who that is. They were Google them later. They were um, actors who were on game shows here in America during the 70s and part of the 80s. And they, uh, were, okay. they were flamboyant, or as they would have said back then, they had a lot of charisma. And they were very funny, and you just knew, oh, those two guys are gay. But you look at like um, somebody that I know uh, you know quite a lot about, because I believe you um, created a show about them, David Bowie. David Bowie. Oh, yeah. Um, is somebody yeah. that, you know, did more than kind of lean into amb- ambiguity, right? Yeah, the, the fascinating thing with David Bowie, um, I mean, he's an incredible musician and I really love his music. And as you said, I, I did do a show about his music. Um, I think he's fa- fa- fascinating. And I love that 
Um, I love that era of glam rock where straight or gay or whatever, like it was like, you're just gonna be the most fabulous flamboyant thing as possible. And it was like, nobody judged it. It was just, it was the era, it was cool. I, find, I found that so inspiring, but also I find it fascinating that I feel like in other ways we've gone backwards because when I was performing a lot back in, you know, uh, 2010, 11, 12, I mean, my costumes were really outrageous. You gotta, you gotta have a look at some of these videos because you, you'll have a bit of a laugh, trust me. Um, <laughs> but I love over the top. But I found it um, interesting that people were sort of confused by it. And I was like, I don't know, this is just me doing what I love, but this is also almost an homage to glam rock that you saw 30 years ago. But it's like, how can you not remember those years that was so fabulous? And there's a new level of judgment and, and appreciation. It's, it's sort of weird that we're sort of going around and around in, in circles with a lot of this stuff. But yeah, I, I love Obviously, I love David Bowen. I've watched a lot of his videos, and he um, some of his looks are fantastic. Wait. And even, um, what's his name? Um, Freddie Mercury. I mean, in um, one of his videos, he's in full drag. And that's fantastic. But, uh, you know, I think, again, people are like, oh, it's just for attention. And now, of course, we know the man was gay. Yeah. <laughs> well, there is something recently that... Um I read here, and I, I will try to find this because I think it's hilarious. And it's um, how witty Elton John, rather how witty um, he was, uh, Freddie Mercury. I guess near his death, uh, Elton John went to visit him, and he said, have you heard Mrs. Bowie's album? It's terrible. <laughs> and I just love it. Because that is something that, you know, um, anybody who is not uh, gay or in the, under the umbrella, I should say, quite often you're referred to as Mrs. or Miss. And to hear that him say, you know, have you heard Mrs. Bowie's? <laughs> I mean, I think that is hysterical. Um, when you started performing and you got on stage for the first time, what was that like? One of my first ever jobs, professional jobs, was when I was nine. And um, I, it was for, I shot a couple of TV commercials. And um, I do remember getting to the TV studio and it was like, I don't know, going to Disneyland for the first time. It was like the best day of my life. Because, you know, I, from as long as I can remember, I, every night, and I'm not a religious person, but every night I would literally pray to somebody. And I would be like, please, please let me be on TV. But like, I, I, I'll do anything, you know? And I said to my parents when I was at nine, I was like, okay, I need an agent. I need to be on TV. <laughs> and they're like, and we grew up, we really grew up in the suburbs. Like my family is so far removed from entertainment. And um, they're like, well, if you can find one, you know, we'll drive you there. So I went through the yellow pages and I found an agent. And you're and nine parents, years old, hold on, you're nine years old? Yeah, I was nine. And then my parents drove me that Saturday to, to the agent and he had, was doing acting classes in his garage. And then on the Tuesday, we get a call and um, I got, had an audition for a commercial. And I couldn't believe it. And I booked two national commercials um, from that audition. And then I got paid. And 
Oh my God, I remember this is in the 80s and we, we didn't have much money at all. And we got a check like with, with money. And my mother could not believe that, that I, and I didn't know I was going to earn money either. And uh, it was just, it was absolutely thrilling. And we were like, we couldn't, we've ne never seen so much money. And it was, I'm only talking like $300 or something. And um, we went to the bank and opened up a bank account. And oh my gosh, I just, I felt like Liberace. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Scott, get the rolls. Uh, that, what a beautiful story, because I'm sure your parents had to be so proud of you. I think they are, because now, of course they were, but as, you know, as a kid, all I wanted to do was perform. And, um, and, and now as an adult, I appreciate the sacrifices they made because my dad would literally work two or three jobs and then drive me to the city, which was like an hour and a half each way. And just to do a, you know, an audition and, um, or, you know, then I booked a job at the Sydney Opera House. So I had to be at the Opera House every night. And that poor man would wake up at four in the morning to go to work and then drive me to the, the opera house at night and then wait for me to finish at 11 o'clock at night and then get, you know. And, but now I think it's really cute because um, they followed everything, but they don't travel. So, you know, I've been a pop star in Sweden. They never saw it. It's like, I've been uh, famous in America. They haven't seen it. You know, I've lived in London. They've never seen it. So I feel like I have all these lives that my parents have never seen but so now i've got them an ipad and an iphone and i'm like okay <laughs> we're facetiming and now you have no excuse for not seeing what i do and it's so cute because my mom now will facetime me which is huge for her and they're so excited because they they go to youtube and they watch my new show and and my mom will call me and she'll be she'll have comments on the girls that i work with or comments on what we're doing and and it's so cute because they're so proud. And I was uh, doing the, like, the Today Show in Australia a couple of weeks ago, a live interview in the, on, in the morning. And it was so sweet. You know, my sister took the kids out of school and they all sat in front of the TV to watch, you know, their uncle in America. And I just love that. I, I, I think that's it's super adorable. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're proud. They're and simple. What, that's... <laughs> That's a beautiful story. Um, and you mentioned something earlier about telling your agent who said, I guess you need to straighten it up uh, when you're you know, going out, not to be uh, out publicly. And you mentioned that there's going to be a kid out there who will look at you. And I did, yeah. did you ever watch a TV show, Glee? Did you ever watch Glee? Yes, yes. Uh -huh. I've seen a lot of Glee. Well, the episode I always come back to is, and I know I, people have listened to this podcast, have heard me mention it more than once, is the episode where Kurt comes out to his dad. And yep. the reason, and I've never watched it without tearing up, and I'm not really a teary up type of person, but it, it caused me to choke up because it's so wonderfully, perfectly done. Um, the dad wasn't a lawyer. He wasn't a sophisticated you know, um, architect. He was a mechanic, a blue-collar guy. And he welcomed and open and was open to a son saying i knew that from the time you asked for sensible shoes for christmas um it was just beautifully done and i thought how many people were watching that with their son on the couch going that's my son and i think that show and that character has made such a big difference so i look at you as somebody who's made a big difference and especially with your um your youtube streaming uh, show Major minors. Tell us about it. it it's really strange how, how all this fell into place. 
So I've always performed. I've always been the center. Uh, I'm quite comfortable there. Um, I didn't really want to focus on anybody else or, you know, just spent so much time working on my own career. And um, one of, uh, coincidentally, I meet a guy who wants me to coach his daughter because he follows me on, um, he's seen who, what I do on my social media. And I go, ah, not really, I don't know. Like if your kid's crap, it's going to be un uncomfortable because I'm going to uh -huh. tell you they're crap. Uh -huh. If and your kid <laughs> is crap, sorry. <laughs> you know, I'm like, this is going to get really awkward. So, um, and he kept asking and asking, and I said, all right, let, 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 I'll meet her on Saturday. And so I, I meet this child who, at the time, I believe she was eight. Her name's Gia. And so uh, I got her to sing for me. And then we worked with each other for over an hour. And this teeny tiny, I, I mean, she's pint size. This teeny tiny little girl um, was so meek and so shy. And she's like standing in the studio and she's singing. And I was like, all right, there's a voice in there. I just gotta, I gotta work out how to get it out. So in about an hour to 90 minutes, this little, little voice just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So then I'm like, okay, look, here's the deal. You can come and see me every week for a month and then we'll see how we go. So by the end of the month, this, this you know, quiet kid is now turning into a mini me. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is cool, you know. So then I, the dad's like, oh, we, we need to keep doing this. And so then I started, I started shooting everything actually from day one. So um, we're shooting every week that she's with me. And the kid, Gia, is phenomenal. She's uh, just turned 11. And so then I started to realize, well, we've got, I, I was looking at footage from like a year, 18 months ago, where she would not even speak to camera. And now, I mean, this kid could do Broadway. So we're looking at all this footage and I'm like, this is really quite fascinating. So then towards the end of last year, I started to bring in different celebrity friends of mine to uh, mentor her in different ways. So I had Danny Minogue, who's my Australian friend, come in and give her some tips on fashion and um, performance. And Miss J from Top Model came in to teach her how wow. to walk. Uh, Melissa Gassoni from Dance Moms is a dear friend of mine uh, who I know through working with her daughters, Maddie Ziegler and Kenzie Ziegler. Um, I asked Melissa to come in and talk to Gia's mother about raising a kid in entertainment and, and social media. And so this sort of just kept sort of evolving and then all of a sudden we've got eight episodes of something really quite um it's extremely interesting and really entertaining so i was sort of shopping it around last year and i've been having tv meetings and then all of a sudden coronavirus kicks in and mm. i'm like you know what screw this we are posting this on youtube and we ain't waiting for nobody no <laughs> So um, we started, we started uh, you know, I started to edit these videos and episodes together. And now we're up to episode um, 14, I believe. And uh, we're going to do, I've decided we're doing 20 episodes this month. I have a Oh, second, my God. Yeah, I have a second, uh, sorry, 20 episodes this season. Oh, um, okay. I'm like, you bet. <laughs> that's month. a lot oh, of work. Oh, no. It's too much work. <laughs> Um, we shoot every week. Um, it's, it's been a fantastic journey. And it's also been so rewarding for me because I get to, I get to be me. I get to bring out the best in these kids, but I also feel like I get to perform. So it's like, I feel like I'm, I, I'm, I'm hitting all these bases without, you know, having this pressure on myself to get up on stage again. But, um, 
I've been loving every minute of it. It's on YouTube streams. Uh, every Wednesday we have a new episode. And this coming Wednesday, we're doing an exciting episode um, where I'm having the girls meet one of my very famous Bollywood actor friends in India. So they're going to get some Bollywood or acting tips from a Bollywood yeah. star. And then they're doing a Bollywood dance routine. So it's, it's fun. It's camp. Um, it's how, do, how, do people, how do people find it? So on YouTube, you can just go to Major Minors or um, Major Creative is uh, the channel. And on uh, Instagram also, the Major Minors or go to my Instagram, BP Major. And uh, everything is linked to the bio, from the bio to YouTube. It's, what is, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. What is the best way to encourage a child when they're a performer? Because you see often, you know, uh, the stereotypical sports dad where they're out there screaming at their kid about and teaching them baseball, football, whatever. Um, but you can also see that with parents, uh, with, with their children, whether they're in pageants or performing. Uh, what do you think the best way to motivate a kid is? The best way that I find with um, mentoring and motivating children is, um, okay, I'm, I'm really tough and I'm extremely disciplined, but I'm also incredibly rewarding. Um, I, so I will ask the kid to do the task that I want them to do and I will let them do it. Um, I'll let them do it their way. Mm-hmm. And now I will tell them how I love their choices. I love this. I love that. Now let's try it this way. So I always encourage, then we shift direction. We, I encourage, and then we add on a little bit more. I encourage. I would never tell a kid, um, well, I lie. I say I would never. There's videos of me telling the kids they're dreadful. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I have, to tell you, I have to interrupt you for a second. So my theater teacher, uh, Mr. Qualls from North Carolina, and Mr. Qualls um, brought his choir and performers around the world. They went around the world. They performed at the White House. He is a wonderful, wonderful um, coach, teacher, mentor. But there are times, and people, and you'll understand this, um, I had to speak at an event and he was there and I told this story and people thought I was kidding and I was dead serious. Um, a young lady comes in and says during rehearsal, because we're doing anything goes, and she says, Mr. Qualls, uh, we're not gonna, I'm not going to be able to be here. Why not? Um, because my father had to have his leg amputated. And he looks at her in front of the whole cast and says, takes a drag off his cigarette and says, my daddy has cancer, but I'm here. <laughs> and then, I mean, and he was dead serious. Like, we have a show to put on. You know, what are you going to do for your dad? Another time, this young lady, uh, Kathleen, she says, um, she was in the show Mame. And when I say she was, she was, she was in the show Mame, she was Mame. <laughs> she was Mame. <laughs> and she's like, my grandmother died and the funeral is Saturday. And he goes, well, that's open at night. You can't be there. You got to be here. And she didn't go to her grandmother's funeral in New York because the first rule is the show must go on, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, this is where, so I do encourage, encourage. I'm so encouraging until I'm not. So like <laughs> yesterday, we, Gia and I, we'd, we'd spent hours together. I was filming both girls. And then I said to her, look, okay, you've been pushing me to do a song. You get to choose your next music video. So she made her choice. And then she was giving me an attitude while she's singing me the song. And I'm like, oh, hell no. Earrings came off. Yeah. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, listen, 
if you want to do this, then you do it and you do it to the best of your ability. Are you not doing it at all? I'm not putting up with this crap. If you want to make it in this town, you got to work. I don't care how you feel. I don't care what's going on. When you're on that stage, you are working. The audience doesn't care. I, exactly. That's what he, the lesson he taught us, that when the audience, no matter if they're on their couch at home, in a movie theater or in a, in a theater, um, watching live performers, they've had a horrible day. They, their grandmas have died. Their fathers have been sick. They're there to be entertained, and they don't care if you or what you're going through. They just want you to entertain them, right? Absolutely. There was one time when I uh, had glandular fever, and I don't know. I don't know if that's the same thing in America, but you're like you're like on the floor dead for two weeks. You can't move. Your throat's swollen, mm. and I was um, supposed to be in a dance competition. And my studio owner was like, I don't care. You're competing today. Because <laughs> I was in a troupe. I was the only boy with 20 girls. And, you know, we're supposed to win this number. I literally got my, someone took me off the, the, the floor, put me in the car, drove me to the competition. I stood in the wings while the other mothers dressed me. Like, I'm talking deathly sick. I backflip onto the stage, do a split leap. <laughs> I'm like, do this whole dance routine. And like feeling like the whole time I'm not, you know, I'm just not going to make it stage, throw up, get undressed, go on and win the competition there. And I, I love my, my upbringing because it's like in Australia there, it's like the way that I was brought up, there's no BS. You just, you got to do it, you know? And so I, I love the way that I was brought up and that discipline is exactly what I bring or I enforce with my kids as well. No matter what you do for a living, you can work at CVS or you can, you know, be on stage, you know, at the, uh, the uh, which is a, incredible to me, the Sydney Opera House. People, when they come in, they don't care. They just want you to go on stage. And then it's like, that's your name. When you're on the playbill, it says your name and you don't want people going, oh, that sucked. Yeah. Which, which leads me to this question. What happens when a kid comes in and they're awful? They have no talent whatsoever. Not saying they're a bad person. They just don't have any, any entertainment uh, talent inside their body. How do you handle that? Easy. I um, think, and this is very honest, um, I believe we all have a talent. So what I do with the kids is I ask them about school, home, hobbies, what they love. So then we might find that you love dolls or wigs or science and then we're going to make a show about that oh. so you know you don't have to sing and dance in order to entertain I, I my thing with the kids now is like i just want to bring out your best you so that could be you want i mean look at these kids on youtube they're opening toys yeah and earning more <laughs> money than god <laughs> like, that's true but, who growing up did you look at uh, that was gay, that was maybe an influence or somebody who encouraged you or influenced you, inspired you? Oh, let me think about that. Well, um, I didn't really think, well, I think Elton John musically, I used to sing a lot of his music um, and I knew that he was gay and I, I loved that he was able to be successful and talented and gay. So I did look up to him a lot. I do go to his uh, party every year at the Oscars. <laughs> Um, I haven't really met him. He's, he's always a little bit grouchy looking, which was disappointing. Don't tell anyone. Um, well, <laughs> I get what you're saying. Um, I, yeah, I, I did look up to him a lot. I went to see a concert of his in Atlanta and it was 
truly amazing. But I noticed the first row of his, have you ever seen him, his concert? Have you ever seen Yes, him? I have. Uh-huh. I don't know. Well, you were probably sitting in the front row, front row because um, what I noticed was it looked like uh, Andrew Christian had brought in all their uh, trophy boy models and yes. they were all sitting yes. front row without shirts. And I'm like, how the hell did this happen? Like, so, <laughs> I have heard some insider information regarding that. And yeah, that is true. <laughs> but I mean, it was like, oh, wow, I think I recognize that young man from... Uh, I mean, what a, smart, what a smart man. If I was that famous and that rich, I'd do the same. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's we fantastic. All, we all need a little bit of inspiration. That's true. Uh, and that, that, let me tell you, all those trophy boys were quite inspiring. Uh, you're the triple threat. You can sing, you can dance, you can act, uh, you write. Which is the most gratifying for you? That is interesting um, because there are pieces of entertainment that I do get more gratification out of than others. Um, I love nothing more than to be on a live stage with a live audience. Um, I can go, uh, I've been on stage in front of couple of thousand to um, hundreds of thousands and um, or live to 60 million when I did the Olympics and there is nothing for me there is nothing more comfortable than um, being on a stage and the weirdest thing when I'm on stage you could literally say to me oh my god the music's gone out there's no this there's no that and we need you to do like a tap routine in into a this into it and I'm like okay I got it <laughs> you know I, I don't know where it comes from I could I could go out and put on three hours with. I just feel like I can do anything when I'm on stage. I, that to me is where I love to be. I understand that so much. Um, there's times I've been invited to charity events, and I'm like, "What well, do I get to host? I'll I'll go if I get to host because in my <laughs> mind, I'm good at those type things, and it will go faster. Like some of those things drag, and you're like, "Oh, oh. God." I've and been I'm, to so many events, and I'm like, can you just give me the mic? You're killing me. I know. <laughs> there was one time I'm like, I promise you I will host this. And I walked up to the audience, and I said, you know, um, I get up at 4 in the morning. It's a week now. I get up at 4 in the morning. And I said, raise your hand if you get up early. I said, who would like this bad boy to go fast? And they all cheered. I said, well, let's roll. <laughs> and I think I, I cut like 20 minutes out of like, just, let's roll. And they, people were happy doesn't have to go, uh, forgive me, and I know this is a performer that our people worship, but Madonna, okay? I love Madonna. She's a wonderful performer. But I went to see her. The ticket said 8.30. It's a Sunday night, 8.30. She came out on stage at 10.45 at night. 10.45. Yeah. The crowd booed when she came out. Now, the rumor was that she um, got a cut of the concessions, so kind of oh, beer and food. But I got to tell you, if I ever interview Madonna, I promise you, and, and I will get yelled at after, I'm going to say, Madonna, can it be a matinee? Why do we have to start on a Sunday at 1045? Yeah. 15. Well, she did that. She does that all the time. And the only person I ever lined, I, I ever slept out overnight for a ticket was Madonna in 1993, I think, when she came to Australia. It was just like best concert ever. And now, you know, um, a lot of my very dear friends work extremely close, really close with her. And so when she was in Australia, she, she pulled the same crap. And 
all the people in the audience that had taken public transport could not get home because the public transport had stopped at midnight or whatever. So I'm like, okay, I think you're an a-hole and I will. Ne- I don't care what you were in the 80s or the 90s. Um, I'm just like, you're just, to me, that's obnoxious. Yeah. And I don't care how big you are. I think it's disgusting. And I spoke to one of my friends and I'm like, what the hell is she doing? You've got to talk to her. This is terrible. And he's like, no, VP, you know, this is just her and she just does what she, and I'm like, screw you. I'm, I'm, don't even give me a ticket. I ain't coming to sit yes. in an audience. <laughs> I stayed, and I promise you, because again, I get up at four, four in the morning. I stayed for one song so I could go, I saw Madonna and I was out the door. It was like brutal, brutal. I don't get that. That is one of my things. Like, if the ticket says 8.15, I mean, let's roll. Look at Cher, for example. I mean, she's older than everybody. She's still performing, and the woman just, she has respect for herself, her audience, her crew. Her, she, the woman, I've never heard one nasty, negative thing about Cher. And she gives you everything in a performance. She comes out, she does the show, you feel like you're the only one in the room, and then she leaves. Best night ever. So it's not that hard, and um, you're not that famous. Get over yourself. <laughs> <laughs> As a performer, what was, what's been a couple of highlights of your career? Oh, I would have to say during, uh, during the 2000 Olympics, I performed with Kylie Minogue in the closing ceremony. And um, that, was, that was surreal. It was also bizarre because when you're in a stadium and you're on stage, you think you're going to hear everybody screaming. And you do hear them, but it's like they're, they're not, it's weird. The sound doesn't come to you. So almost almost you like hear, the, the <sighs> Exactly. And it was the weirdest thing. The music started and you can, because there's some there's speakers around the stage, but all you hear is like your feet running and you're breathing and you're like, why can't I hear myself breathing? And there's literally 100,000 people there and you can't hear them. It was the weirdest thing, but it was also the most, one of the most phenomenal things. Um, and I, back in 2012, one of my, I headlined LA Pride and oh. I'd done it the year before. And, it was sort of, um, it was amazing, but I was, I was really more stressed. But then the next time I did it, I was like, you know what? I just want to have fun. And so I sort of adapted an attitude a long time ago where I, I'm only doing it if it's fun. I just want to smile and have a laugh. And that was one of my most favorite performances because I shifted my attitude a little bit. And it was just all about having fun. And I, when I have watched the videos back, I'm like, I smile because I'm like, oh, yeah, you're enjoying yourself. And that's what, that's what people want to see. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, that's one of my most memorable as far as having a little, a, like a little personal breakthrough. If you could go back and give yourself advice, what would it be? Everything happens when it's supposed to happen. Because when I was younger, oh, my gosh, you have no idea the pressure. Like, I would be at nine years old. I'm like, okay, by 10, I need to be on this soap. And by 11, I need to do this. By th- and I used to say, by 13, I need to be a millionaire. And I would, I would oh. set these oh. insane goals. And I was just, I swear to God, I was like a nervous wreck from my own goals, my own goal setting and, and being so hard on myself. And then sort of throughout my 30s, I started to realize, oh, I sort of achieved when you start thinking back, Oh, I did achieve that. Oh, I did achieve. I, I did work with that person. I did. And at the time I'm just so concerned with getting there, getting there, getting there that I, I didn't realize that things were actually happening. 
And so now um, that would be my main advice. Just chill the F out because it's not going to happen until it's supposed to happen, whatever it is in life. And now I, I just, I, I embrace that so much because I shot two music videos of my own. They're still not complete. They've been in post-production for so long. Normally that would have me throwing things at people. And I was just like, you know what? These videos are going to come out when they're supposed to come out. And like now, even with the kids, I say to the parents, this is going to happen when it's supposed to happen. You need to, you need to calm down. If the kid's going to be famous, it'll be famous or it's not going to be famous. Or There's no guarantees. It's all just going to happen if and when it's supposed to happen. And that, that helps me sleep more at night. <laughs> when you told your parents that you were gay, how did that go? I told them via a letter. So I, I sort of wrote them a nice letter because um, I knew that they would need a, a, a minute. So I thought if I tell them, because mom had sort of tried to get it out of me at one point, I think maybe when I was about 17, and I wasn't really comfortable to talk about it. So maybe at like 20, I, I, my parents are divorced. I, I wrote them a letter, but I was sort of a bit bitchy about it because I, I was like, um, I'm gay. If you've got a problem with it, deal with it because it's your genes and um, be angry at yourself. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> that was sort of my, that was my message. Yeah. And, um, and then, of course, later on in life, you hear that they both read their letters and then my dad called my mom and told her that it's her fault. And, um, but then yeah. they both called me and were I, like, oh, we love you anyway. And so it, it was fine. I love that your dad, uh, you know, that both of them act surprised when your dad was driving you to the opera house and sitting outside in the car. I mean... <laughs> That is, how does the father not know his son is gay when all when he's asking for an agent at nine years old? I mean, these are things yeah. that straight boys don't really ask for. Oh, let me tell you this. How do you not know your kid is gay when he's singing Cher at the school assembly? I mean, I don't know how I wasn't beaten to death in school. I was so embarrassing. <laughs> Please tell me it was uh, Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves. No, I no. did turn back time, and this is where it gets worse, right? So I'm standing on stage in front of the entire school. This is why my brother hated me, and I don't blame him. Ah, I'm standing. <laughs> What's the age difference between you and your brother? Three years. He's older. So he's at the school. He's at school. <laughs> and, and through a choice all of my own, I literally go to the principal's office and go, oh, hey, yeah, Cher, Cher just released a new song, and I'm going to sing it at assembly today. I went to an agricultural school with 600 students in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> So it gets worse. It gets worse. I'm on stage, right? I'm holding the microphone and I couldn't afford a backing track. So I'm actually singing with a, a cassette that I recorded from the radio of Cher. And so you hear Cher in the background. So you're really singing along <laughs> to Cher to the song. Yeah. And it gets worse. It starts right. And I'm like, if I can turn back tap, the mic cord falls out of the mic. <laughs> And of course, Cher is still singing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> so then, like, how embarrassing. The whole school is sitting there. And then I reach down, grab the mic front, and plug it back in. And, you know, I keep singing. And I think my, my brother was a bit of a, a nightmare at school. And I, I think that may have been one of the lunches where he did come over to me at lunch and punch me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm wondering, you didn't wear the same outfit that Cher did in the turn back time. No, I okay. wish. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> Dad, we're going to, after we go to the opera house, we're going to have to find me a thong. Dad? Dad? Oh, yeah. 
Um, no, I was so, and how did you not know I was gay? My sister just found this photo and she sent it to me last week. I am so embarrassed of myself. I'm dressed like Boy George at my sister's birthday party. Now, I don't even know where I got this raggedy ass wig from. I'm wearing like, it, it, it looks like it's straw and we, we had horses that may well have been hay. I don't know, it looks <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> oh, how were they surprised? Well, mom said to me years later, she's like, well, you know, your brother kept saying this and you know, I, I did think that, but you know, I just had to wait for you to say it yourself. I was like, okay, that's nice mother. I said to my mom, how did you not know when I made you drive to three different music stores so we could find a live Eartha Kitt CD? Like, <laughs> how did you not get it, mom? VP oh. Major, this has been phenomenal. I can't thank you so much for your time. Um, I look forward to uh, seeing more of your show and I look forward to uh, delving in and seeing if I can find some of these performances. So thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to, to speak with you today. Uh, I want to thank BP Major that you can uh, see his YouTube streaming series, Major Minors. Just check it out on YouTube and you can find him on any social media platform, BP Major. And I want to thank uh, Julia Ziegler and WTOP for allowing us to host here uh, out with Jimmy. And I want to thank you for listening. And remember, you'll never know when the last time you'll be able to tell somebody you love them. So go ahead and do it. <laughs>